positive feedback loop. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Positive Feedback Loop Podcast. Here with your host, this is Ray and the lovely Stephanie. Oh, hello, everyone. And also Luis, also very hello. lovely. You know, I we got to stop. Stephanie forgot who she was. We got to stop calling each other lovely. You know, it's a kind of an overused adjective <laughs> these days. You know, let's just say fantastic for today. So, anyways, welcome <laughs> to everybody. This is the show where we talk about a variety of topics and. Uh, often tend to disagree with each other, which makes it all the more fun. And today's topic of discussion is consumerism. And along the lines of that is consumption and how that plays into the economy, into our social fabric, and uh, also how it's played a role in our you know, interactions with other human beings for a long, long time. Um, so let's get started, guys. What do you think? Well, I want to know how you guys define consumers and consumers, because I think people might think of it different ways. Yeah, that's true. I think uh, initially when I think of a consumer, it's someone who uh, purchases or a group of people who purchase things, goods and services to better their life or to just enjoy things in life. When I think of a consumer, I think of consumption, like you you mentioned and well, that means it's the person who actually consumes the product not necessarily purchases it right well so it, does it, that is are they connected so i guess yeah go ahead louise and then i, I, I think it's more about that. changing the onus from i mean back in the day when we used to think about how much money there was how how good an economy was so what was a strong economy in the world was just how much cash or how much gold or silver you had yeah and it eventually shifted to be how much were people buying and selling? Because ultimately, the worth of a product is how much people value it, right? Yeah, true. So it's a much more accurate assessment of what we have and how we're doing. And the shift towards consumerism, which is more a system of uh, policies, whether economic, political, etc., um, that encourage people to buy more and encourage people to keep spending on products so that that money can continue to work in the economy and thus continue to power it. Sorry, would you consider a person or a group of people who only buy the bare minimum to survive, so meaning food, shelter, you know, bare necessities, would they still, I mean, they're still consumers, right? Or are they just... I mean, like survivalists, kind of, or... I guess to the seller, it won't matter what they're buying it for as long as they're buying it from the, the seller. Yeah. To the seller, those people are all consumers, no matter... Well, the level of consumption. I mean, related to that, Ray, what you're getting at is I think of con there's consumers and producers in like a forest and the producers are those that can produce what their own and like an, in a in in ecology or biology uh, organism that oh. can produce its own food is a producer. So like plants, they can take from sunlight and everything and make their own food. But a bear or a lizard cannot produce their own food, so they must eat or consume a producer. They must find something that's already producing, taking the sunlight and everything and making food out of it, making themselves food, essentially. And so I think of that in the same way. If somebody has a garden 
in their backyard and that's how they're eating or they're like survivalists in the Alaskan wilderness and they're like, you know, hunting their own food. Um, in, a, in a biological way, they're still consumers because they're, they're eating biological producers like plants and they're eating animals. But in the economic, sociological, like the human world, so to speak, that Luis is addressing, the, the economic world we're in now, they would be considered producers uh, analogously because they're not relying on somebody else to make the, the food or make the hairbrush or make the clothing. They somehow are able to like grow the cotton, spin the cotton, you know, sew it together, yeah, make their own are, clothes. But no, I mean, but that, people don't do that anymore, really. Yeah. It's like very, very rare. So are consumers just people? Like why do we even say consumers anymore if we really mean like – human beings well we're, we're again we're talking about different economic systems we're talking say a tribe that in an island that ha that is unexplored by most by most modern man they probably don't have an understanding of consumerism because their yeah. society is inherently different but we live Yet in an economic consume. system where everything's linked and just because you buy if you grow your own garden and you make tomatoes on it that doesn't stop you from buying a plasma screen TV and watching television on it and buying yeah. services like Netflix and stuff. But right? if you you're, didn't, you're still... if you like grew your own food and everything and you just, you did not buy anything from anyone else, if you, you were wouldn't disconnected be a consumer. entirely from the, from the, the local economy. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess you'd just be consuming your own pro output. You wouldn't have, you would have a net zero impact on the economy apart from maybe externalities, but you'd still be a consumer in a way, I, I, I feel. Yeah, if you take the literal sense of the word, the literal meaning of the word consumer, yeah, I think everyone is, they consume something. You have to consume energy and food to survive. But when we talk about consumerism, if I look at the definition, I'll just read it. Mm -hmm. uh, consumerism is a noun, the protection or promotion of the interests of consumers, okay? And then you have a derogatory definition that says the preoccupation of society with the acquisition of consumer goods. I have a question, Ray, like in conjunction with that. What's the difference then from the second definition? What's the difference between consumerism and materialism? I don't know. Good question. It sounds very similar in this context. Because you're saying, what did you say? It's a preoccupation with like acquiring things, basically? Yeah, a preoccupation of society with the acquisition of consumer goods. But this is injecting a... Um, like a judgment? It, yeah, it is, it is implying that there is something inherently negative to consumption. And this kind of harkens back to you, what you were saying, Steph, of like the person that, uh, like the biological, someone eating your, your the goods that you've produced uh, sense, where consumers are people who, who consume the goods produced to a point where they essentially destroy a product that has this negative connotation that it had back in the days of mercantilism, right? Hmm. Where a powerful nation was a nation that was able to make all the stuff it needed by itself and needed to have no exchange for the outside world, despite right. that being an extremely flawed uh, market system, right? Where having someone else just make the stuff that you're not good at making makes way more sense. And we know this with hindsight, but in a world of scarcity, it might not be as immediately obvious to do that. And mm. if you are living in a world where resources are scarce and you're struggling just to have enough to eat, then 
you know, having someone flash around their new iPhone isn't necessarily, it could be tied to a negative, right? It makes sense for, for you in that situation to have like a moral component to it, that this person's evil because they are consuming, whereas we're all struggling. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that is, that's like the negative materialism side of consumerism. And then yeah. there's, the, then there's this economic necessity of consumerism that that's the way yeah. our economic. Yeah. Because consumerism grows the pie, but yeah. yeah, if the pie also results in uh, carbon emissions that destroy the environment, <laughs> that may not be a optimal thing. So you might need to have a little bit of a balance. Let's let's go to the positive side of consumerism. Is is just a, uh, the economic order of things as as we know it in certain parts of the world. Let's say the United States. Uh, it's the way we work. And then to go back to, I think Ray read the first definition that sounded more. I guess less biased or, or like charged with a, a negative or a positive sentiment, which was uh, like the protection of consumers or, you know, I think of like consumer protection programs where, where consumers are so much more, uh, what do you say? Like they have more power now than they used to because there's, there are social media platforms that allow them to kind of talk back or talk publicly about. They have more of a voice, I would say. Yeah. They yeah. Have I don't more know of a voice. if consumers have more power. Well, they have more of a voice, you can say, you can argue. Yeah, yeah, more of a voice for sure. Well, I mean, the there are, of... there's lo- there and are laws And it's not just place. about protection, it's also about the promotion of consumers' interests as well. Like, yeah. for example, well, disclosing paid partnerships on Instagram with Instagram influencers with brands. They have to disclose their paid partnerships so people don't just assume, you know, that there's this like native advertising trend i don't even call it a trend because it's actually kind of old now but it's you know it can trick consumers that aren't that don't understand how certain platforms work to think that an instagram influencer is promoting some product uh from out of the goodness of their heart because they love it instead of no they've never tried it they're just getting paid to promote it and so there's like consumer protection programs in essence and these laws written into the into at least u.s law that you know prohibits like certain type of types of advertising that are misleading and stuff so i feel like there there's like this protection of consumers that is part of the fabric of our of the way we work but is it but isn't it because the there is such a large market there are so many options that yeah the the real power of consumers in today's society at least in the in america and in many other western countries is in the power of one dollar, one vote, right? Hmm. Your dollar is your your voice. Right, but so, not everyone has the same number of votes. Well, absolutely, mm-hmm. and that's one of the big things about yeah. modern economics. But if you're if you're dealing with a society where you, where you spend your money or where you choose not to spend your money is hugely impactful, then yes, consumers do have a voice. We there are boycotts that have been done for many companies. You are able to. Um, promote ideas that you might have, whether that is um, cage-free eggs. That's just a thing. You want your food to be, to have as little cruelty as you want, so you start buying things that have less cruelty. But from the government side, we, a lot of the, the, the systems, the consumer agencies that were, that used to exist, were stripped out. And uh, especially things that were built in the first half of the 20th century, a lot of that's not around anymore. So on the one hand, we have a lot more voice in the market, but we have less voice politically. So it, it has been a bit of a trade-off. Hmm. 
The other facet of uh, consumerism is the way that advertisers have learned about consumer behavior to the point where they can basically almost trick people into buying things they don't need at all um, in a very clever and subtle way. Um, you know, there have been studies, and Stephanie, you and I took consumer behavior course uh, at BU during our MBA, and we learned about how small changes in the images or descriptions of advertisements can influence certain markets, certain groups of people or types of people um, because it caters to their very innate hu- innate human deep instincts such as, I don't know, love or fear. Right. Yeah, I mean, just simple changes even in what we know about uh uh, those enduring psychological principles. Like I think consumers have changed and the, and the economic landscape has changed, but there are these, like you said, these innate characteristics that, that tend to be the norm. And, uh, one of those, for example, is like when you're giving a deal on a product, right? And if it's a large, uh, ticket item, let's say the product is, you know, a MacBook for $2,500, then Instead of saying, we'll give 10% off, you would say, we're going to give $250 off. Because two, even though those are the same, $250 sounds a lot bigger than 10%, because 10% sounds like a really small percentage of, the, of something. But if it's a small ticket item, you know, it, it only costs $10, you could, saying, it's, oh, I'll give you a dollar off, sounds like ridiculous. Well, a dollar off, eh, it's just a dollar, versus... I'll give you 10% off somehow sounds a little bit bigger than that. And so this, I, and you know, it's just the psychology that marketers can use of knowing how people think that they are, as Dan Ariely would say, predictably irrational, that it's this predictable innate thing we do, but it's also an irrational decision. We would drive, we would waste more money in gas to go get the deal that's worth less than the amount of gas it took to go get the better deal in another town. But because it was that better deal, we feel like we have conquered in some way. We have not been swindled by the other person who had charged more, even though we spent a dollar on gas, but only got 75 cents off by going to get that deal or whatever, you know? Well, is that a bad thing though? I mean, if it encourages more consumption, which thus allows for more people to have more money to spend on other things that they may or may not need. Is that a bad thing? If it, it is, grows the economic pie. I mean, it's, it is for the person who's spending because they're spending all this money for others to then spend. But if they're spending it on things that make their life worse, you know, acquisition isn't necessarily a good thing. It used to be in the in, back in the day that you couldn't hold on to money very well. So you would buy land or you'd buy objects and those who kind of hold the value um, and they were harder to steal because they would you know possibly be much heavier <laughs> than a coin would be or what you know a gold coin but and nowadays the more you acquire the more things you have the unhappier you are you have all this crap in your house you become a hoarder <laughs> you know you're you're constantly cleaning and organizing instead of enjoying the things that you have you're losing your keys in your house because there's so many places to lose your keys, you know, that kind of thing. To me, I find it interesting when consumerism ter- turns violent, like on Black Friday sales. 
And Although people, that's a little bit that's a little bit overhyped. There's not that many incidents on Black Friday compared to regular days. Have you guys ever like fought for something in a store? Like where no. you're like going for the no. last one or something? I haven't. I don't think I haven't I have either. To my if recollection. Anything, I might fight not to have to go to the store. <laughs> not yeah. a big fan of shopping either. Well, online shopping has changed the way consumerism works entirely. Wait, wait, wait. Before we go on, I have a really important question. Steph, based on your last question, have you ever fought someone for something at a store? Oh, yeah. I, I didn't answer my own question. I have never fought somebody for anything or even witnessed like somebody grabbing the last thing and, and, and another person chasing them down. Like, you know, in the in I think there was a Chevy Chase movie I'm thinking of. But I have – what's interesting is people actually – much kinder about things than you would think. Um, I've been studying based on the news. Yes. Well, on the news, sure. But like, I've been studying stay-at-home businesses and how they use social media because that's my field is is to study how these smaller businesses use social media. And one that's really fascinating to me is Lululemon, which is a women's retail clothing uh, line. I guess Lululemon. It's not Lululemon. It's Lularoe. And it's, they, they own, they don't have, you can't buy on a website. You you can only buy like in somebody's home or uh, through their like Facebook group. And these are, I've been studying the behaviors of these because I think they're very unique and fascinating. Um, But similar to other social media based home, you know, like uh, Mary Kay or Avon, Avon or like how Tupperware used to be. What's that other uh, Uh, Cutco knives? Oh yeah, probably. Although I think they sell Cutco like in stores too. Maybe I'm not. Uh, don't, don't they? Uh, yeah, you can buy them online. They might have started doing that. But know. but what what's interesting is Lularoe, for example, is very much like Zara, which was a, a European is a European clothing line, but is international and you can buy in stores. But that there are a limited number of prints, and so if you see a print in your size, chances are, I think there are only like twenty five hundred in the whole world of like that print and so when women see a print they like they know they have to get it or they'll probably never see it again and so you would think they would fight over it in these groups and i've observed that some women will be like i'd like it and then like somebody will say oh i want it and somebody say well if you really want it you can have it no that's okay you can you can do it don't worry and they're like very kind to each other (laughs) in the sense of like they're giving up maybe the only product they will ever see in the print and size that they want and yet they're kind of acquiescing to each other to make each other happy. And so this is the kind of a positive side of consumerism where you see people wanting to acquire goods and searching for goods and wanting something that makes them feel beautiful or comfortable or good about themselves in some way, and yet they're willing to give that up uh, for the good, for someone else to experience that same feeling. I think that is a fascinating side to consumerism. The, the tie-in between consumerism and fashion is actually really interesting. I was reading about uh, one of the earlier British economists who, one of the first people to actually decouple morality from spending, uh, whose name is fascinating to me because it, and I, and I swear to God, this is his real name, is Nicholas, if Christ had not died for thee, thou hast been damned barebone, also known as Nicholas Barbin. He was one of the first people to basically argue that fashion and luxury goods enhance trade, 
them because they wear out. People want to be in in they want to be with what's the latest style. They want to get the newest stuff. And this is the 16th century. So this is a little what? Sorry, the 15th century. This is a while ago. Uh, he was one of the first people to basically say, "Hey, you know what? It's okay if people want to spend, because ultimately, uh, that's good for the economy." Yeah, I, I mean, I think that makes sense. The you know we measure our countries based on their GDP, gross domestic product, and how much flow of transactions is going on within the country. So, it's a good measure of uh, of an economy's progress and status. So, it makes sense. I think. A lot of people talk about consumerism in a negative way, but it's also brought us a lot of positive things, like Stephanie was mentioning. Things like more individualized services or individualized products or goods that you know only specific groups of people need or want. So the, the companies that supply these things had to work harder to satisfy the consumer. So I think there's this positive thing that's happened for consumers where you know, we're getting more of exactly what we want instead of, um, you know, having to buy the same product everyone else gets. You know, now I can custom, I can customize my Nikes to like the color and the like the where the embroidery is being done, and I can put my name on it and my logo, and the size can be exactly how I want it. I mean, size was always a thing, but you know what I'm saying. You can customize your car to the specific specifications and. You can get specific leather colored chairs and all yeah. the customization that you want um, that we didn't have earlier. So this is due to two things. One, the demand by consumers for wanting a more individualized experience. And two, better technology to enable this type of supply chain and enable this kind of these kind of products in our economy. So, And, um, and as Stephanie was saying also better communications, better means for the, that, the, those goods to actually reach consumers, right? More platforms, right. people can be aware of what's out there. There's more targeted advertising, which both targets you and your friend group, so you don't, you don't want to have that fear of missing out and not having the latest whatever, right? So it has been a driver of society and something that is driven by it. Very cool. Uh, so... Thank you very much for listening to the first half of this episode, everybody. We are going to jump to a commercial and then jump right back into it for part two or the second half of uh, this episode on consumerism. Thank you very much. Do you value your privacy but also want people to notice you online? Oh, honey, the answer is simple. You have a boring avatar. And that's where we come in. For a low fee of $259 a month, we at Starvatar will make sure your online avatars have the latest in digital fashion. Hats, belts, dragons, you name it, we got it. Find us at our fabulous site, cause we sure as heck ain't gonna find you. And remember, just like a star, everyone deserves to shine. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Consumerism on the Positive Feedback Loop. And we were just discussing uh, some of the pros and cons of consumerism, uh, consumption. And uh, over the break, Luis mentioned something really interesting. And not only is, you know, we talked about how consumerism can be a positive thing and it's brought us better products and more individualized services. However, there are negative aspects to consumerism that's uh, become more apparent in society especially in the last few decades, and um, primarily in the form of an 
negative impact towards our environment. Uh, so, Luis, do you kind of want to expand on that a little bit? Obviously, one of the things I, that I mentioned before was, you know, it doesn't always feel good to be on the losing end of consumerism, whether it means that you kind of have to buy stuff to keep up uh, with your friends and your local groups. But it also means all the stuff you buy has to be made somewhere and it has to be made using uh, whatever means of production they use for it and whatever resources they need for it. That means a lot of stuff ends up um, being uh, sent out into the atmosphere in ways that are harmful for the environment. There's a lot of stuff that also ends up being made into pollutants, right? You know, the amount of uh, plastic, there is microplastic that we consume basically every day at this point, just because there's so much plastic in the water that it makes it into the into the living creatures throughout the world. There are impacts from the destabilizing nations where companies move in to try to make a quick buck so they can sell it more elsewhere. There, there are a lot of negative repercussions that can happen as a result of consumerism. Because if you want it now and you just want it for as cheap as possible, you may not be thinking about what goes into making it. And that's true. But what's happening more recently is these companies are letting consumers know where they're, these items are coming from. You have uh, the fair trade for like coffee example, as an example. Um, so people tend to or people that are conscious of this look for coffee that's been acquired using fair trade or fair and ethical uh, operations. So, you know, their farmers are not being abused, for example, and are, you know, are being paid at a adequate amount for where they live. Um, and that's just one example. So there is this kind of pushback from the consumers who care more, are starting to care more about where their products are coming from and not just the product itself. But this is kind of like a newer phenomenon. Yeah, but uh, but on the on the flip side of that, a lot of the labels that we use to try kind of project to consumers, hey, this is okay for you to have and not feel bad about, don't actually mean all that much. Like for example, GMO foods, um, whether the benefits versus the, the negative impacts of GMO food, there aren't all that many negative impacts that we know about so it's one, another thing that makes consumers feel great about, consu about you know, hey, I'm paying more money so that I don't eat GMO. But ultimately, you're not doing that much more good. Uh, same with things like, you know, well, for that example, and, sorry, you, can argue, you can argue that for that example, it might take more water and more land to actually produce Absolutely. the same amount yeah. of crop without GMO. So by choosing non-GMO, you're actually hurting the environment. Well, one example is is when people say, "Well, I, you know, I use now. I'm a, I'm definitely a digital user. I mean, my I, digital marketing is my field. Right? I am Stephanie, but, digital user. <laughs> I am a robot. <laughs> robot. Um, but <laughs> people claim, well, I use a computer and get e bills and things like that. And so I'm, I'm reducing because I use a digital uh, tool. I'm reducing paper waste. But people have argued that the production of digital goods is actually leaves just as much or more of a carbon footprint because you've got these factories making all of these parts to make a computer or a phone or whatever it is. And so is that carbon footprint really less than the paper you would have used? And on the other hand, then, you know, if I'm just like discussing through this, I also think, well, you kind of have to use a computer in this day and age. So 
if you are using a computer, then you, then you should at least sign up for the yeah. e-bills. Honestly, you know, most people <laughs> don't waste that both, buy a computer yeah. aren't doing it just to get their bills uh, right. to not right. be on paper. That but I being think said, that's, that's you're the right. argument people make though sometimes is like, yeah. well, you know, digital, you know, well, computers and technology have, have made us have you know less waste or whatever, and that's not. Yeah, but I mean, on the flip side of that, there's also things, I mean, I agree with you, there's definitely labels that we put on things to make ourselves feel better that don't have a specific definition, like cage-free hens doesn't mean that necessarily they're living happy lives on, out on the prairie. Yeah, it usually they means just be they in have a bigger like, pen with just, yeah. Yeah, like a there's foot a whole, extra space, like they can't even run, yeah. but now they can walk well, without, cruelty free. You know, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, what does cruelty-free mean? Well, you know, it there, turns there's a out lot of that things. there's actually different, like, like you're saying with the GMO and stuff, when you can say this is an organic product versus a certified organic product. Like, there's actually tiers to what makes something there organic. Are, yeah. And so it's very misleading to consumers who feel like they're doing something good to their body or to the environment when neither might be true. Because, I mean, there are products that say this is gluten-free. And they're not actually gluten-free. It has to say yeah. certified gluten-free. If it just says gluten-free, then it's probably still processed in a place that has wheat in it and you could get really sick. And, and that's not to say I mention anything about things that get gluten-free slapped on them when it's inherently obvious, like gluten-free water. Yeah. <laughs> Why should my water have gluten? Of course it's gluten-free, unless there's something yeah. that's terribly wrong. This is kind of what I was referring to when I mentioned we may have a lot more power to vote with our dollar. That doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that consumers have more power because a lot of these regulations don't aren't regulations. They're just brands, right? They're just uh, like a, a label that companies get together and they say, hey, we want to make people feel better so they don't feel bad buying our stuff. What do we slap on it? We can make a minor change to how we do things and get a whole bunch more money because we can charge a lot more for it. Great, let's do that and not make any major changes. Whereas if the government steps in because they have a consumer panel or whatever, and I'm not usually a big fan of regulation, but that's a good way to get things changed so that they are exactly what the consumer wants. And a lot of those powers that we used to have have kind of been stripped away. Although again, if consumers organize themselves properly, it's possible to absolutely may have an impact. How do you suggest consumers organize themselves properly? Ooh, that is tough. You can't just be a hacktivist. You have to actually create a group uh, that has some sway, get enough people to be part of it, uh, and then boycotts are obviously a common thing that people do. Um, letter writing campaigns, uh, trying to sway your elected officials. There, there are several. There are ways you can have a voice, but. It's very easy to just say, I don't buy Chick-fil-A, therefore I've done good. Whereas that doesn't that's just a drop in the bucket. If not, you know, if the rest of America is also still buying Chick-fil-A, it's not gonna change the way that Chick-fil-A behaves. There's some nice people over at Chick-fil-A, by the way, and their chicken yeah. sandwiches are fantastic. Um, <laughs> this podcast brought to you by Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta send this over to those guys, get some free sandwiches. I think this conversation relates, uh, at least this part of the conversation relates to something earlier. We were talking about uh, the fast fashion movement. Uh, and again, Zara would be a good example of that, where it used to be that, you know, back in the day, or if you've ever seen a, uh, one of the versions of Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> 
that the there's always the the young sister that gets married and she gets her wardrobe like when young women would get married they they'd go out and they'd buy like their their new wardrobe for their married life and that would last them like 20 years that would be their yeah. wardrobe and you'd have things in your closet for potentially your whole life and maybe you'd get a nice new dress on your five-year anniversary or something whereas women are buying clothing on a weekly a monthly basis uh every other month maybe i mean i mean they're they're buying new clothing not every and i'm i shouldn't even say women i think men women parents for their children well let's not even talk about like uh Clothing. loot box type systems where you just get uh yeah. not loot box but yeah, loot yeah box is stitch a, fix company. for example yeah. where they'll put together an outfit you get a new outfit every month and those outfits work with other outfits like all these people now buy their clothing on a monthly weekly basis right and you have Luis, like you mentioned these boxes that you get like from stitch fix and i'm thinking of also huge thrift, boxes and they're they're great but thrift pick which is uh you can get like vintage clothing in a box and so, so you've clothes. got this really interesting economy where somebody's actually taking things that have been used or enjoyed in already consumed so to speak in if you're talking about consumerism and then kind of given this new life with somebody who can enjoy the menu i think that's fascinating and with zara like they're they are producing new lines of fashion it used to be they'd come out in a season you know, you'd have the spring season line, the fall line, and now you've got like two week lines and something else is coming out the next two weeks. So if you love shopping, oh my dear, if you, you know, whether you're a man, woman or child, <laughs> you're going to get new clothing. And, and then you talk about the waste of that. So if people don't, if people throw it away, you've got tons of waste. If they donate it, that's awesome. I wonder how that impacts, because it does a lot of these clothes, especially with uh, like the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They give a lot of donations to other countries, developing countries, and a lot of them are clothing. So how does yeah. that impact their economies when they are giving There's actually, lots it's of actually clothing? Really interesting. Around the time that there is uh, uh, Olympics and you know World Cups, etc., because they make a lot of shirts for teams that don't necessarily make it too far, or... Uh, shirts for places that don't necessarily get picked a ton of stuff gets sent over to africa or other locations that may not have uh, africa being a gigantic continent with varying levels of uh poverty but they take it to third world countries that aren't doing too well because hey we're just basically no one's gonna wear this you might as well have it and then they'll sell it for pennies on the dollar Mm. so that's one way that we kind of cut on waste by overproducing and then giving it away for for a bargain reminds me of uh the great dust bowl you know the um oh oh oh, uh, oh uh, mice and men no 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 no, no but um, I, I know what you're talking about <laughs> great it's no, it might um, be the grace of wrath the jodes yeah isn't it the grace of wrath which is about during the great depression then all it the is it's jodes, grace of wrath. family okay. farmers driven from oklahoma that's it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. okay so oh, I knew, me. Right. And yes. I knew it was Steinbeck. And I said Steinbeck. Louise, you are good. Well, I knew it was Steinbeck. <laughs> when you said Of Mice and Men, I was like, yes, yes, it's it's the author, you know. So in Grapes of Wrath, there's a story of 
where the, the, they go up to the, the fence, I guess, this, an area that's fenced off the river, and they see floating down the river like thousands of peaches because there has been this overproduction of peaches. But if they were to give them away for free, then that would drive down the cost of peaches. They would have no profit margin whatsoever. And, and so the demand and the supply are kind of off kilter. And so you've got these people starving, and they're watching these peaches being thrown away because there's a surplus, but if they were to just give away the surplus, they wouldn't sell whatever peaches. Did. You know, it's just, yeah. it's insane to me how supply and demand work. And then who gets to be a consumer? I mean, like you said, a dollar is a vote in essence. Well, if you don't have a dollar, you know, if you can't be an active consumer, maybe you're an inactive consumer, meaning you can purchase something, yeah. a little something once a month or, or, or just like bare necessities. Yeah. What is, how does that change the definition of what a consumer is? I, I don't think it does. I just think it changes how you interact with society and at large. Like you're not going to have a say in what uh, the, the company sells because the, you're not really... You're not creating You're not the demand on. for that or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, like what color but, sneakers but they're going to sell. <laughs> it's absolutely super interesting. For example, food waste is huge. And so much of it is just because of aesthetic considerations. Mm -hmm. How much food gets thrown out because it's not pretty. Yeah. We have reached a level of, of wealth Waste. in at least in America and in a lot, and in, in a lot of uh, first Developed world countries. countries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where we just get to be picky about how cute our food is. Does it look good? Is it? Does it have the right coloration? Is it? Does it look large and nicely formed? And doesn't have any weird nodules somewhere? Great. Then we'll eat it. Otherwise, chuck it in the bin because we don't want it. This reminds me of it's, how I shop for jack o' lantern, like pumpkins for jack o' lanterns. If I want to make, I don't make jack o' lanterns anymore, but. I would look for the ugliest pumpkin because people would always look for that perfectly round, yeah. you know, no imperfections. The Charlie Brown pumpkin. Yeah, and I would look for the Charlie Brown pumpkin. I would look for the the ugly Christmas tree in, in Charlie Brown's Christmas. I would look for what I I would think is the least unloved because I don't want it to go to waste. I think, oh, those other ones will find a home. This one won't. You mean the most unloved? Yeah. The most yeah. unloved. Oh, yeah. Or the least loved. <laughs> the least loved. There we go. Double negatives. Well, the thing with wasted food is, unfortunately, a lot of these like restaurants who have to throw this food out, they are not allowed to donate it to people who are hungry, who would eat anything, uh, because of concerns, like uh, liability concerns. They don't want to get sued. If someone gets sick, it's going to be their fault kind of thing. Um, but there are companies that are actually like playing an intermediary so that they can donate food to the homeless. Which is good, I think, and I'm, yeah. I'm I mean, it's I good that, though, that. that not all food's going to waste, but a lot of it is. Yeah. A lot of it is, uh, yeah. I think it's what, like a third of our of the global food supply is eaten by mice. Uh, I'm gonna double check that because I don't want to. Hey, have mice have to them. eat too. I mean, come on now. Yeah, do a quick fact check because that would be a good. All life is life, Luis. Life is life. <laughs> do you expect the mice to starve? <laughs> starve the mice. Check a, a quick fact. Check from the Indiana State Department uh, of Health says that uh, at least 20% of the world's food is eaten or contaminated by rats and mice each year. Wow. That is 20%. a ton of food. Yeah. You guys, that's a ton of food. Just running away, making methane, or making rats. <laughs> yeah. rats. How are we feeling about the state of consumerism today? 
I honestly, I feel, I feel positive and negative. Sometimes I feel negative when I think of shopping malls that are socially engineered. The past of shopping malls, for example. So the architect Gruen had envisioned this kind of enclosed covered mall. And then the Southdale Center in Adena outside Minneapolis, this is according to Benjamin Barber, was the first actual enclosed shopping mall, right? So people would normally, you think of like Newberry Street in Boston is like this open street. You can see the sky. There's, it's mixed with apartments. It's a mixed-use street. And you kind of shop or you don't. You walk. But like a shopping mall is this socially engineered enclosed place where you go in and all of a sudden you're in the world of shopping. That's, that's the negative side of consumerism is like you enter this world of shopping instead of going to with a goal or a plan of things that you need. You just go like, I just want to shop. I've got money this this extra money and i just want the experience of buying like the the retail therapy phrase where it's like i don't feel great today so instead of meditating or swimming or going for a walk or hanging with friends i'm going to go buy things whether or not i need them i'm going to go browse until i find something i like i don't even know what i need or want i mean this is like the negative side i see of consumerism the positive side is that there's a high vacancy rate for a lot of shopping malls. They're not, you know, not some, in some areas they're falling waste because people don't want to go into this, this place where they enter a new mindset. They want to, you know, minimalism is a huge thing. Marie Kondo is like famous for her condo method of cleaning out your house, not having the things that you don't need. Some people even disagree with this one. Getting rid of the books, like once you've read a book or you know you're not going to read it, just getting rid of it. This idea of minimalism is very popular because people are now at the point, you know, consumerism went from necessity to having things that make life a lot better, like having a TV. You don't need a TV, but it's nice. And maybe a comfier couch. You don't need a comfier couch with extra throw pillows but it's nice but then you know it's like it's almost like we we crossed the line into like having way too much that we never need that it's become a burden to us and actually hindering our happiness and that's where I see the positive growth happening that we've crossed that line and now there are people helping bring us back from the brink so we've overindulged in uh, our shopping patterns and consumption, and we have too many unnecessary goods that we think we actually need. I don't know if the, if I would say that there has been a significant sh- uh, Yes, there has definitely been more awareness amongst consumers lately uh, about, hey, maybe just having stuff isn't going to make you happier. Experiences can have a much more positive impact on your well-being. So maybe instead of buying that extra, that extra pair of shoes you could go on a trip but i don't think consumerism globally is going anywhere i mean think about china that's exploded uh onto the scene in the last couple decades and one of the reasons for its incredible growth in the last decade in particular has been the rise of consumerism over there and that's only going to keep going because they have their own version of consumerism that's slightly different from ours a little bit more driven by uh, by their culture they're like a producer more than a consumer. They almost pride themselves on the pr- production of. I mean, I China is very much a producer that. for the world. 
I don't know if I would say that. While China has traditionally been, uh, at least not traditionally, but at least in the last few dec in the last few decades, been the factory for the world, for their economy, they've needed it to be to turn towards a consumer facing economy. Yeah, and they've yeah, they done are. that very successfully over the last ten years, to the point where it said that uh, I, I was reading an article by uh, as a Chinese consumer expert who stated that the Chinese dream was the American dream plus ten percent. So I don't know exactly where that's going. I do know that you probably shouldn't have all the stuff you have, you know, have a little less. Getting some stuff isn't bad. It helps people in a way. It hurts the environment in a way. But, you know, everything in moderation. Don't go crazy with it. If you can't get into your house because you've got so much stuff, throw something out. That shouldn't be the bottom bear, the, the line at oh, which you're throwing things out. But it's just like a good, okay, there's a problem here. I need to hire Mary Kondo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, instead of throwing it out, you can also donate it. Don't forget that option. Well, very good. I think this was very interesting, guys. And I appreciate your time. And all you listeners, I appreciate your time as well. So thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. And I just would like to remind you all to visit our website, pflpodcast.com, and also check us out on Twitter, Facebook, uh, we're on, all over on social media, so please don't hesitate to send your love our way. Uh, we love to hear comments about the episode episodes, and let's have a great week. And as always, stay crazy. crazy.